It's amazing to me. Thinking over a year where we've come in this building at Grace Tremont. The growth that I've seen happen, the growth within the body of Christ for his church, the growth in the people attending at Tremont. And just seeing how God works so specifically and so intricately for each person in their step, in their journey, and where they're at. I think of the dedication of the people that are involved in Tremont, the great, great team that was built to just build the body, to be able to enjoy the amazing worship services the live stream messages and the kids, (laughs) the kids being able to just learn about the message of Jesus in their life and what he's done for them. That we're completely blessed by being able to be at Grace Tremont to reach this side of the county, to reach the lives of those online, to reach the lives of those just sitting sitting beyond the walls of the church, but being able to have a refuge, a place, a building, and Christ's body, his church at Tremont. There's been amazing, amazing moments from our baptisms to our child dedications to our first Christmas service And our first Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, all within the walls that we get to celebrate and worship this God, this God-man that came for all of us. What a blessing I get to serve him, to serve alongside of those that love him, to be able to see the youth grow in their knowledge, grow in their relationships, under the direction of those that love him too. I can't wait to see what this next year holds, and I'm so happy and so blessed to see where this church has come. I love this church so much, but what I love more is who we serve and who we're worshiping and who we're learning about, this man Jesus. And we get to do that here at Grace Tremont. I have a tough time watching that video um, just because, man, it just overwhelms me with gratitude. And it's their birthday today, Grace Tremont's birthday, one year old, and that's pretty spectacular. And I don't know if if you've ever been up there, but it's an awesome experience. Um, I love just when I get to go up there and just hang out with the people up there and um, man it, I'm filled with gratitude for God for doing that that was I don't, I don't know how long you all been around here but we launched a campus in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and uh, everybody thinks we're crazy but it wasn't us it was God doing his work through people that were willing to take a step out in faith risk a little bit to follow him get uncomfortable a little bit to be obedient And when anybody does that, God does more than you thought to ask for, 
or could have imagined. That's just how it works. That's why taking those steps of faith, no matter how little they are, are really important. Um, so the team up there is just phenomenal, and that was Ryan's voice, our, our location pastor up there, and man, we're celebrating their birthday today. They had really big cupcakes up there. You get the little itty-bitty ones. <laughs> and uh, 9.30 demolished them, so get out of here fast if you want to grab a cupcake. <laughs> we sang this morning to them. We're not going to sing now because they're not joining us live right now. They're done their service for the day. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to transition into this next message but as I start to pray, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a day of great joy for us here at Grace Free Church with celebrating Tremont and thinking about all that God has done up there. It's a somber day for our country as we think about what happened on 9-11. And so I just want to take a moment of silence to just reflect and remember as I start to pray here. God, we are so thankful for you. Uh, how you use people like us to do crazy things like launch campuses. It doesn't really make sense, but somehow in your wisdom and your sovereignty and your plan, um, you use broken people. Sometimes you use confused people not the people everybody else would pick. We're just humbled and in awe of you. How you can work in the middle of bad things to bring about good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So as we start this message today, Father, we're filled with gratitude. We're so thankful for Jesus. Would you use your word, not my words, would you use your word to make us more like him? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are in this series called Restored, and we've been taking a walk through a couple of verses in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, just week by week, one verse a week. And the whole idea behind this, if you missed a couple weeks or if you're just tuning in now, the whole idea behind this is that God wants to restore you. He wants you to experience restoration. I don't know if you're like me, but I got lots of areas in my life that I need restoration in. Lots of areas where I need him to restore me. And I find that I'm the one who often gets in the way of what God wants to do in me and through me. I'm the one who's always taking the wrench and sticking it in the engine. I'm the one who's my biggest obstacle. And God wants to bring you restoration. That's the promise at the end of this passage. And here in this passage, he lays out, Peter's laying out some real simple steps to get ourselves out of the way of what God wants to restore in our lives. 
Some simple and practical steps that we can just kind of follow to experience more of him and less of ourselves. And so we started week one with stay humble. It's about knowing our right place in the scheme of things. And I don't know if this is going to spoil your cupcake later, but you are not the center of the universe. (laughs) Neither am I. And humility, a biblical idea of humility, it's not thinking poorly of yourselves or groveling in the dirt. That's just a twisted other version of narcissism. That's not humility. Humility isn't thinking less of myself. It's just thinking of myself less. I think that's a Rick Warren quote. It's knowing the right place in life. It's knowing I'm valued, I'm loved, I'm important to God. I have purpose and meaning. But the world doesn't revolve around me. And I'm not the God of my own life. And we adopt a humble attitude when we take on humility and we wear it. It removes us from being the, playing the God of our own life and it allows God to do his work in and through us. Week two, we talked about anxiety. You didn't leave church that week. That's good. Uh, and I shared my own story, very personal journey with anxiety. I don't know if that made you uncomfortable or not. Um, it made me uncomfortable. But uh, the truth is that God won't always take your anxiety away, but he'll help you walk through it. And if you're suffering from anxiety, if you're dealing with anxiety, you aren't alone. You don't have to hide that stuff. The whole idea about if I was just spiritual enough, I would never struggle is garbage. You can throw that out. Plenty of people in the Bible, lots of heroes in the Bible suffered mentally from those kind of things. I can name a bunch of them if you need me to. Just shoot me an email and I will later because we don't have time right now. And what I pulled out of, what, what I hopefully shared with you is an acronym called Take a Breath, a biblical-based acronym to help you walk through anxiety when you're going through it. It's one I practice, and I have found to be very helpful in my life, and I hope a few of you maybe have started to apply it to your own life and have found some comfort in times of anxiety And then we talked about last week, part one, and this is part two of this one. Last week we talked about head on a swivel. You have an enemy who wants to see you drowning in that stuff. He wants to see you swallowed up by anxiety and depression. He wants to see you swallowed up in your fear and your anguish. He wants to see you beaten down. He wants to, he's a thief, Jesus describes this enemy, who comes to steal and kill and destroy from you everything good. And you got to have your head on a swivel. Peter says it a lot. You got to pay attention, be alert, be sober-minded. And we talked last week about the meaning of those words and what it means to be that and how we need to stay balanced and we need to stay alert and we need to stay calm and ready. And so we can be prepared when the attacks come. And this week is called Resistance. And I want to just read to you the verses for the series, and then we'll kind of pause and highlight the one we're kind of talking about mostly today. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Aren't you glad you can cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you? doesn't scare him, doesn't make him turn his back on you, 
He's not disappointed in you. You can cast that junk on him because he cares. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then today's verse, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, and this is my favorite part, it's a conditional promise. The God of all grace, in other words, I'm laying out the map, but you gotta walk the steps to experience it. I want this for you. There's a path you have a choice to journey on to experience it. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The resistance. You ever fight wrong? You ever, you ever fight wrong? See, there's a right way to fight and there's a wrong way to fight. And when you fight the wrong way, what happens is it, it multiplies. It multiplies the consequences that you experience. It multiplies the heartache. It multiplies the brokenness and the bruises. When I was a kid, my mom, she, she used to love to hit up, you know, yard sale stuff, like some those people are crazy, waking up at 5 a.m. to get your socks wet, tromping through somebody's yard. I don't, I don't know anything at a yard sale that's worth me getting up at 5 a.m. for. <laughs> I'll just look on Amazon, you know, like. But my mom loved that stuff, and so she would go around to yard sales all the time, and she'd pick stuff up that she thought was neat. Or, and and, and so, so one day, she came home on a Saturday afternoon from a yard sale, all excited because she had bought boxing gloves. Just two, a pair of boxing gloves. I don't know what in her mind like went haywire and berserk that day, but I grew up in a house with four boys. Like we fought about stuff. This is not an encouragement. Fighting is not the answer. You shouldn't do it. But when we grew up, we fought about stuff. Stories for another day, another time. It was rough, four boys growing up in one home. I don't know how mom was hanging on. Maybe that's why she went a little bit crazy that day and bought boxing gloves. I don't know, but she only bought us one pair. We talked about it all week, man. We we're all, all our friends were watching boxing all of a sudden. This was before MMA. I shouldn't have said that because now you're all trying to figure out how old I am. <laughs> It was around, but it was all underground still. Like you had to get a VHS tape and it was sh super shady. And uh, anyway, we, um, we spent all week watching boxing. We were gonna box each other. We set it up like everybody come to my house after school Friday. Kids rode their bikes over. The cars were like parked around in a circle. And we had this little piece of our driveway kind of widened out as it got to the house and there was, it was a little bit of pavement there and that was gonna be our little boxing ring. And uh, I've always been good at talking friends into stuff. So for better or worse, mostly for worse, I talked my friend Lancer the Romancer, that was his nickname. Somehow I convinced him that he would be better boxing left-handed. We only had two gloves. I, as he's agreeing to my 
ill-seated, wrong logic, I am strapping up on my right hand, because I'm right-handed, the good boxing glove, while he's strapping up on his left hand, he's right-handed too, the other glove. We rang the bell, went around and round, and it took me maybe 30 seconds to turn his world green, and he had to call it off saying, I'm dizzy, I'm dizzy, we can't do it anymore. We didn't know what concussions were, but I definitely gave him one. <laughs> we were, that's not how you fight. That's not fair. That's not how you fight. Fighting with one glove on, having somebody set up with a... And what happens is, when you fight wrong, you multiply the damage. It's worse. Things hurt more. The damage is greater when you don't. Maybe, maybe you never beat up a buddy with a boxing glove on, but maybe you've gotten in a fight with a significant other, and you didn't fight nice. It started maybe small, like something that if you could have removed your motion from it, if you could have stepped back from the moment and given yourself a little bit of pause, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. Come on, you know some of those fights. But no, you dug in and you wanted to win. And so you, you, you put the gloves up figuratively, I hope, and you decided that you were gonna fight and then all of a sudden that little thing, it escalated, right? You said some things that maybe you shouldn't have said Maybe your tone came in a little sharp and then that tone is returned and it just keeps escalating, escalating. And at some point in the journey, you forget what you're even fighting about. Maybe not with a significant other. Maybe you've done this routine with friends at school or something. And then all of a sudden, you, you guys are like on a brutal path. The damage has been done. The words have been said. You don't even remember what you started fighting about, but it seems like there will be no resolution even if somebody seems to win, you both still lose. You ever been in a situation like that? It's because you're fighting wrong. It's because you, you didn't fight right. And all of the pain and all of the conflict, all of the hurt, all the words, they just multiply and multiply out of your control. When, when we don't fight right, the pain is multiplied, the brokenness is multiplied, the mistakes are multiplied, the hurts multiplied, forgiveness seems harder, restoration seems more difficult, maybe even impossible, because we don't fight right. Paul and Silas is a story found in Acts chapter 16, maybe you've heard it before. I'm just gonna give you a very short version of this in hopes to show a different way that we fight as children of God. Paul and Silas were walking around doing ministry, the start of the church. God was doing some pretty incredible things, like churches were popping up all over the place and they're spreading the gospel and the apostles are teaching and laying out the good news about who Jesus is and people are coming to give their lives to Jesus and believe and they're getting baptized. And the, Acts teaches us that the church is growing like crazy, but at the same time, so is the suffering, so is the pain. Everybody wants the glory but doesn't want the struggle, right? They were in the midst of both of those things real deep and so they're dealing with watching God do absolutely incredible things and at the same time, they're under attack all the time, just persecution and 
people coming at him, the enemy trying to steal and kill and destroy like the enemy always does, like Jesus told us about the enemy, trying to kill and steal and destroy and ruin things and have them devoured up in whatever junk he can have them devoured up in. And as they're going around to places to pray with the early church, what happened was this female slave started following them, and Scripture teaches us that this female slave had a spirit that could tell the future. This was like a crazy money scheme by the people who owned this poor slave girl or woman. She was manipulated and used for the financial benefit of the people that owned her. Paul and Silas are walking around and preaching and going to these prayer meetings and this female slave is following them and the spirit inside her, she's calling out and she's just like announcing their presence everywhere. It was good stuff, but you ever have that? Like where somebody just won't shut up? Is that too harsh? Like you got somebody, maybe, maybe you have those moments where you're like, all right already, I heard you. Like, I'm going to go mow the lawn for 18 hours with headphones on. Don't text me. I've heard. I heard. I get it. I understand. And it's just like somebody just gets under your skin because they just won't let up. They just keep going and going and going. That's happening to Paul and Silas as they walk around. This woman is, is following them. And check out what she's yelling. She's yelling really good stuff. She's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I could imagine them at first being like, all right, somebody gets it. Yeah, you hear that? Like, we're not just, she's right. Like, and then after a while, they're like, oh my word, do you have some Excedrin migraine? I can't take this anymore. Where are my earbuds? I can't handle it, right? Like all of a sudden, it's like sitting on a school bus with a thousand screaming children Paul can't take it. He like snaps, turns around, and casts the spirit. I love that. I love this. I've, I've tried this. It didn't work. <laughs> turns around and casts the spirit out of the one who's annoying him. In Jesus' name be gone, and the spirit leaves her, right? And good, great for her. But of course, those who are benefiting unfairly now are like in an uproar about this. It says in verse 19 that when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, talk about corrupt, talk about dehumanizing, talk about a terrible system, talk about abuse, man. When, when the money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us to practice. They, they exaggerate the attack. The attacks always come exaggerated. And the crowd joins in because there's people in your life, they just like the drama. They just like to see people struggle. They just like to see somebody have a tough time. Somehow, in some sick way, it makes them feel better about their own self. You got friends like that? If you got friends like that, you should probably trade them in. There's plenty of people who just like the drama and will get swept up in the emotion the crowd joins in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates feel the pressure 
from the crowd, so they just buy in. They don't ask any questions. They don't figure out what's going on. They just order Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten with rods. It says that they were severely flogged, and they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, so he put them in the middle cell, and he put shackles around their feet and locked them up together in the middle cell, surrounded by all of these other cells. They had every right to fight. Here's a little check for you. Most of the time when we feel we have the right to dig in and fight, we don't. We perceive some injustice. We never get to the bottom of it. We just come out swinging. We make an assumption about what she meant or he said. And we just dig in and come out swinging. I have to put this check in here because I need it. Because I need to remember that a lot of times when I want to fight, I don't have any right to fight. It shouldn't be my stance. These guys, though, they, they had every right to fight. I mean, talk about unjust. Talk about manipulation. Talk about brutal beating. Unearned, undeserved. Talk about some trumped up charges. Talk about a ridiculous system that is taking advantage of them and pushing them down. Talk, I mean, they had every right to fight. And if you've ever been mistreated, been dished out some unfair judgment, if you've ever had a bunch of people jump on the case against you and spread a bunch of lies about who you are, if you've had, ever had people jump to conclusions and make assumptions about you, if you've have ever had that kind of junk, you understand in part at least a little bit of the feeling Paul and Silas could have had. And if I had that feeling, I would have wanted to knock somebody out. I would have been bitter and angry and mad. But they understood something that I struggle with. We don't fight like everybody else fights. That's not what being a Jesus follower is about. We don't fight like everybody else fights. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, I think Paul and Silas knew how to fight right because they knew it was bigger. What was going on was bigger than just the slave owners. It was bigger than the magistrates. It was bigger than the crowd. It was bigger than just this moment. It was bigger than what they were enduring. It was, it was bigger than that. They weren't just fighting people. They were in a spiritual battle with a thief who was trying to kill, steal, and destroy the early church. They knew who their enemy was. And their enemy wasn't the person they shared a home with. Their enemy wasn't their boss at work. Their enemy wasn't a person Their enemy was this Satan, this devil. And uh, so they fought different. When I would have been bitter, lashing out, questioning God, angry, 
ready to take somebody down, making ill threat, crazy threats, like you're gonna get yours as soon as I get out of here. I would have been yelling about the injustice. I would have been so fired up, like give me the gloves, let's go. Paul and Silas at midnight were sitting in the middle of their cell, praying and singing hymns to God. What? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like, that sounds crazy. You're not mad right now? You're not furious, lashing out? I don't belong here? They're just singing songs of praise and praying to God. They got it was bigger. They knew their fight started somewhere different. It started by connecting to God and worshiping him that they, had, they were in a spiritual battle that required a spiritual response. Why don't we start there? Oh, by the end of the story, they would call out the magistrates and require them to walk down and release them as Roman citizens in a parade of justice righting the wrong that they had done. They sat there and requested that, that to happen, but they start spiritually because it's a spiritual battle. As they prayed and as they sang, the earth shook. God sent an earthquake, shook the walls of the prisons, opened the doors of the cells, and they didn't even leave. They sat there free. They sat there because they knew it was bigger than just what they had endured. They knew it was bigger than just the enemies. They knew God had a plan and a purpose and that God would draw good out of what they had gone through. And so they sat there and they shared the good news of who Jesus was with the jailer who was about to commit suicide because he felt like he had failed and lost the prisoners. They shared that good news with the jailer and his family. They all believed and were baptized all that night. It was bigger. It was bigger. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 9, it says, resist. Stand firm in the faith. You aren't alone in your suffering. It's so important to remember that. Like you can resist the enemy, not physically, but by standing in the faith that you have pledged the faith that you have owned. You can stand in the midst of this kind of attack because you don't just belong to you, you belong to Jesus. You can stand in faith knowing that God is doing something bigger and something more than you could have imagined. This is how we fight our battles. The worship team's gonna come up right now. We're gonna end this sermon, this message a little bit different. As I was Thinking about this passage and talking about it, there's a song that kept playing and I hit Scott up Monday and I was like, hey, do you think we can like rearrange the plan for Sunday? And I mean, the team put this together and figured it out pretty quick for me. I just wanted to end with a little bit of practice and how we fight our battles different. I, I, I pulled out five things about fighting differently. And here's what I got. Point number one, we look for the greater good. 
we look for the bigger win. That's how we fight our battles. We put a little pause into the reaction time. We slow down a little bit. And we start asking a bigger question than, how do I win? We ask a question like, what's God doing? It's not about me just getting the trophy, me winning the fight, me proving that I was right the whole time. And you bet I'm right when I'm picking out parking spots in the Walmart. We look for the greater good, the bigger win. Romans 8, 28 says God works in all things, all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so we fight different. We look for the greater good. We look for the bigger picture. What are you going to pull out of this, God? How are you trying to move in this, God? How would you have me respond? What would you have me do? I want to be about your purpose, not just my win. The second thing we do is we open up. We don't close off. Sometimes when I'm feeling attacked, I just want to, circle the wagons of my own heart and put up some walls. Maybe you've been there, you've been burned before, and when it seems like you're gonna be burned again, you just close off, stack some bricks. Don't let anybody in, don't be vulnerable, don't give them a place to connect their blow with you, just build the wall. We don't close ourselves off, that's not how we fight. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. And James, it teaches us that if we confess to each other, we'll find healing. We don't close ourselves off. We open ourselves up to God and to people who love us who are also following Jesus. That's how we fight our battles. We fight our battles by carrying each other's burden. Loud and clear, Peter reminds us, it's not just you. You're not the only one walking through this. You should never feel alone. There are others suffering too. God knows. He sees you. We fight our battles by carrying each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 teaches us that that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. Love God and love others. We carry each other's burdens. So no one has to fight alone. That's how we fight our battles. We fight our battles through prayer. I wonder what that sounded like in that prison. I wonder if like one of them was like maybe not on the same page right, right at the beginning. Like, yo man, let's pray. Are you kidding me? Like let's figure out how to break these locks. What are you talking about? Pray. How's prayer going to help? But I don't know if they're both on the same page. If they weren't, I probably wouldn't have been on the same page and Paul or Silas would have had to convince me. But however they ended up there, they started by praying. And how would that transform our relationships and our conflict? If before we opened our mouths to respond, we took a second 
to lift our hearts to God? How would that temper our words? Change the pace? Fix our perspective? We pray. That's how we fight our battles. And then we praise. Those songs had to sound so beautiful. I've noticed that when I'm going through really tough times, I usually can't get all the words out to the worship song without getting choked up. They're beautiful. They carry so much more meaning in those moments where I'm just tired and worn out and beat up or under attack. It's just, there, there's something about praising God that takes our eyes off of our circumstances and refocuses it on the one who transcends our circumstances on the one who gives peace no matter what our circumstances looks like. And I need my eyes lifted. That's how we fight. We fight different. And I don't know what prison you are stuck in right now. I don't know what has been locking you up. What kind of conflict has been causing you anxiety. But if you could just fight different. Just Fight your battle on your knees. Fight your battle with your praise. Don't close off. Don't shut down. Just start through your prayer and through your praise, looking for the greater good, trying to find what God is doing in and through and around you. We fight different. I wanted to end this service with this song just as a reminder. And also because I think maybe some of you it's time you start fighting differently. What better time or better place than right now?